Good afternoon, friends and traders. Welcome to the Limit Up Podcast. I am Dan Hodgman. And I am Jack Pelzer. Excited to be sitting down here today. I think, Jack, we got a fun topic, uh, which we'll get to here in just a second. But should we talk about these markets? Hell yeah. I've been in meetings a lot today, but uh, nothing happened in the last week, right? Because I specifically remember last week when we did this, we were at 36.50 in the S&P. Right now, we're at like 36.50. We were at 37.50. We were at 37.50. Oh, well, Don't I must have missed something that, big then. What happened? Uh, well, yesterday was big rally day. Today was another big sell-off. Um, yeah. I do apologize. Uh, I have a train rolling by in the window, and a room next to me is open. Oh, you're uh, like so me you now. Hear a tra- I am. I can't I'm hear like it. Jack. Yeah. I'm back to city life. Okay, good. Um, well, we'll talk about equities here in a second. Crude oil, after yesterday's big rally in the crude oil, which I was very bummed about, uh, we moved right back up to that $80 range. Uh, today, we've attested a few times up above $82, which I talked about last week. Um, we're showing resistance at 82 currently. Doesn't mean it's going to continue that way. Obviously, support and resistance looked at in hindsight. Um, but right now, we're seeing a little bit of a, a shelf as we hit 82, 82.50. Uh, market's going to settle below that here today. But equities, Jack, talk of the town here today. Big rally yesterday. That rally's back right to where we were when it started yesterday. So, um, what a you know, wild last, ride, you know, like the last couple of months in these wild ride. I'll throw out there. It's pretty crazy that now a good jobless claims, like this is the weirdest thing ever. You got good jobless claims and some other things tanking the market. And the fed is now trying to jack up jobless claims. It's wild. By the way, the next time a train goes by over here, I'm on the laptop today, so I'm maybe going to turn it and show you that the L just like goes by over there. It'll be fun, interactive <laughs> experiment. As I was saying, basically the Fed can't cool down the labor market. And you have this, I don't know what the end game of it is, but you have this thing where you have tech companies and Wall Street laying off people, but uh, you know, blue collar jobs, you have as many offers as they want. It's kind of, uh, it's kind of wild. Things are happening. You got any more insight into that today? I don't have a ton. I mean, we've got gold staying inside. Uh, gold had the big – really, yesterday was the day of rallies, right? You see yeah. it. And all the markets that I've I've talked about and we talked about here at Top Step, all of those were up. A um, couple down today, but some of them continued on. So gold, a little bit of a sell-off last night, but as soon as uh, the London Open took off, uh, gold rotated right back, closing the gap up to settlement price, going to ch- settle unchanged here. Euro – Trending higher, um, had the big move yesterday, continue in that direction here today. And the 10-year note, down on the day, but uh, up since we opened up here this morning. Um, so we're still a little bit down, but maintained a strong trend to the upside here today, trying to recover some of the losses from last night. We're definitely still around the fighting levels. Like once again, today we're closing, the S&P is closing right about where the bottom of the last uh, bottom was in June. So it's still bears and bulls looking to see who takes control there. Because as we said, if it goes down through this, my eyes are next on 3,400, which is the high of the pre-COVID economy. I think we make a run at it at some point, but for the time being, I think you can see a lot of action around the lows from June. Yeah, and Jack, I think something interesting to keep about keep in mind about this: these levels that you know support at one point, we're showing it holding right now. I don't remember where I heard this analogy before, but I've heard it from a number of people over the years. And think about these markets as you know these levels in a sense, like a boxer. 
how many times can they get hit and still keep moving? Um, you know, that old Rocky saying, it's not about how hard you hit, but it's how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. Mm-hmm. Um, how hard, how long can these levels hold until it finally breaks down? Um, I'm not saying the inevitable is through the downside, but do these levels sit here and continuously hold? Are enough people going to continue hold these levels, or are they eventually going to have to say, enough's enough, I can't keep taking the, the checks here. Here comes the train, by the way. Oh, no, you'll be able to, uh, won't be able to see it out the window there. It was a valiant effort, Dan. Uh, you tried. I tried. Too much sun today. What That boxer analogy is perfect. Even though it's perfect, I will add this. It's both sides, I think, are a little bit scared of the movement from that level, right? I mean, if you're short, there's a lot of people with negative sentiment in this economy. But if you're short at that um, level we discussed earlier, if it starts squeezing out of that like it did yesterday for a little bit, uh, you got to be at least worried that, oh, my God, this could take a run back at the big effing round number at 4,000 or 4,200 like it did last time. Similarly, if it goes through it, you're thinking this is the big one. Mm-hmm. I, that's how you always feel when you're leveraged long, to be honest. But um, Oh, absolutely. It's that emotion. Once you're in the trade, <laughs> you feel it. Every little bit of move against you, you do feel, and you know you're watching it close. Even if you're a big position guy, here comes another train on my end. Uh, lesson learned. Shut the door. <laughs> uh, shut the window in the other room. It's just so nice out. I had to have some windows open. It is. Got to enjoy the sun while we still have it. So that's what I'll be doing. Yeah, today we want to talk a little bit fundamentals and get down into what makes a market tradable, you know, beyond some of the obvious things. So, Dan, you were into this idea today, too. Uh, maybe you want to give a little primer and then we can kick it off. Absolutely. So this actually came up for those of you that watched yesterday's Q&A with myself and uh, our founder, Michael Patak. We get the question a lot of times about, are you going to allow us to trade this product? Millions of different products out there, people always asking to trade. And number one, first and foremost, yes, we're constantly thinking about it. We're constantly looking at potential uh, products to open up, allow our traders to trade. I know there's a lot of talk about the micros and wanting more micros. Um, Last week we were asked about uh, opening up the, um, it was during something, someone asked me about opening up access to the NQVIX, uh, the BLQ, which the CME just launched. For sure, these are awesome products, but we got to make sure these products provide enough liquidity. VLQ, prime example, right? Um, since the launch of that product, I believe under 20,000 contracts have traded. Um, that's a little over 1,000 contracts in a single month. And to be trading that means you're getting involved in a market that does not always allow you to get out when you want to get out. And that's really the key here is these markets have to provide enough liquidity for you to be able to get out. You look at micro Bitcoin. Everyone loves it. Trust me, I have it on my chart, my screen every single day and I'm watching it. But there's a lot of areas where there's gaps coming in or less than a couple contracts trading in a 30 minute period. And that's really where we don't want to get caught. So we got to keep in mind, what's that liquidity providing? Is it going to allow me to get out of the market when I want to get out? Sure. And you mentioned the key word, all right, liquidity. And I would contend two things. One, that the tradability of a market equals liquidity. Liquidity is what a tradable market means. But liquidity is also a symptom. It's not just, you know, one day we decided that, This is the most liquid market. And I think there's a lot of factors that play into that. So 
just if we're coming at this from a novice standpoint, liquidity is basically how I always say thick the market is. If you're looking at your ladder, how thick is that market? How close is the bid ask? Basically, how easy would it be to do a ton of size? That's probably the best definition. Like if I had an ungodly amount of something, could I sell it quickly? Right. Mm -hmm. And it's the opposite. You can go back to why do we trade securities, right? You could trade anything. We could trade. What do you want to trade, Dan? Onions. Onions. We could trade onions. You know, <laughs> I have some onions. I could sell it. It's not convenient. I'm recently just like selling my condo and that's another illiquid asset, right? It's hard to get rid of and you got to do a lot of work to sell it. So I wouldn't want to like be day trading my house back and forth. Yeah, that'd be pretty rough. <laughs> that so, would be miserable. Yeah, I'm just thinking about moving and just the whole thing's miserable. But as far as markets go, the symptom of liquidity, I think, comes from a few things, right? It comes from confidence of the people in it, and that's reputation, right? So we trade on the CME for futures, or at least we do. There's other places you can trade futures. But we trade in the CME because they have a long track record. They keep their word. There's a legal framework. I don't have to worry really about my counterparty, hopefully ever, when I'm making a futures trade at the CME, right? And that past data and past price action and history is what makes people trust it. I think that's the first part of what makes a market liquid, right? The second I love part- that, Jack. Very yeah. well said. Thank you. I think that kind of goes, I mean, Intuitively, you understand that. I'd say that's the fundamentals of liquidity. Is this trusted? And with a lot of products that are out there, you know, certain offshore betting markets, certain, I'm trying to think about what else without like stepping any toes, uh, certain cryptocurrencies and things like that. Those represent things where there's not a lot of history, not a lot of trust. There's even degrees, right? I mean, Bitcoin is super liquid compared to whatever the coin of the week is. Dogecoin. Dogecoin. Haven't heard those in a while. So basically, if you have a long track record, that's going to help you build liquidity. Now, the stuff that can change is volatility. And I call this uh, the Goldilocks zone, right? Like even your most liquid markets, if volatility ramps up enough, it's going to get a liquid, right? So you face this trade-off, and I was wondering your thoughts on this, Dan, about the trade-off between liquidity and volatility that you need to trade, right? Because if we had completely bid-ask thick markets where you could just buy and sell at the same price, there'd be no need for traders. Yeah, so this is an interesting thing, but before I dive into it, I want to highlight something you said. Um, something when you think about liquidity, a product that you can trade large size in. Um, I think that answers or touches on a really interesting question that a lot of people do ask, right? Like micros. I love micros. I think there's, mm -hmm. a, there's a great reason behind them. Um, but there's a point at which you say, I have to move from micros to the minis because I got to get my fills. Take your trading any product, let's call it the MNQ, which just will touch on what you're talking about here, Jack, with volatility versus liquidity. NQ is an interesting product. 
if you're trading in the MNQ and you're trying to trade, let's just say you're trying to trade 50 micros, you're not going to be able to get perfect fills on those. You're going to have to work orders. Uh, you're going to miss a lot of prices. You're going to get partial fills, and it's going to really force you to adjust how you're thinking about your trading. You're going to have to start to look for different pricing. Sometimes you're going to average in at a worse price than you were initially planning to trade. It messes with your systems a little bit. Now, to go back to your question here, Jack, you know, when you think about volatility versus liquidity, that's something you have to be thinking about. As the market thins out, how much can I actually fill at the price I want to trade? And where's the range that I can actually trade this? We do need some volatility. Right. It's important. And I think you can look at two different markets, two of the most popular markets in the world, NASDAQ, S&Ps. S&Ps are a thicker market. They're going to show in the sense of the volatility, right? They're going to show a little bit thicker in their volatility or the elasticity of that market is how I've always looked at like volatility, right? Some of these markets mm -hmm. have a thicker rubber band. S&Ps rubber band is going to be a little bit thicker, a little stronger. So it's not going to rip back and forth. Such thing like the NASDAQ. NASDAQ can be a little bit thinner and NASDAQ can really move, start moving through. So if you start to see that volatility uptick, price action, a little different. But the market's fundamentals and why they're moving and how they're going to get there are usually the same. So if you start to see, hey, NASDAQ's getting a little thin here, a little too whippy for me, I can transition to something like the S&P. Because you're still, yes, completely different markets, but they're influenced by the same factors. Um, obviously, you know, underlying there is a little bit different. And how they move and why they're moving down to the minute end is a little bit different. But in the big picture, they're moving very similarly. We can look at equities and we can look at the S&P and the NASDAQ next to each other and we can say so the NASDAQ and the S&P pretty much had the same directional move today. Um, so when you're looking between liquidity and volatility, you need volatility. It's, that's what brings us mm -hmm. back every single day to trading. Um, but you want to make sure there's enough liquidity so that you can, and it goes back to what I said in the beginning, it, you can get out when you want to get out. Back when I was trading, my firm was actually what they said we did, right? So if you went to the corporate website is we were liquidity providers, which is a nice way to say proprietary trading shop. Um, yep. every, yeah. every local trader on the floor, they were there to make markets and provide liquidity. That was their job. Yes, there's some question as to whether with all the liquidity providers, if they really provide liquidity when you need it, that is sort of the, that's the million dollar question there. But as we're talking about, you, so you can trade are going to have a lot of trouble trading a VIX 13 market and a VIX, you know, 50 plus market. It's somewhere in between the sweet spot, right? Because mm -hmm. the worst trading experiences I had uh, when I was trading full time were from the lack of volatility in treasury specifically. When things are bunched up and only move on big news, it makes it very difficult to grind out a living. And what happens then is that the people that sell the volatility make a killing and they do it for years. And then when you have something like COVID and volatility explodes, it swings the other way. And those firms, so it's basically like a death by fire or ice too little volatility. You just slowly fade away and too much volatility and people spectacularly blow up. But in either case, mm -hmm. they're not really tradable markets. We're swinging towards the other side right now. I don't think what we have right now is a lack of volatility. Would you say, Dan? I don't think we do. No. I, NASDAQ down almost 4% today. Um, if you think that's lack of volatility, you're in the wrong business.
Yeah, that's. I wonder almost. I would be trying to trade something with a little more liquidity. My personal preference than the NQs right now, because my thought is you trade the NQs because you want more volatility. Do you want more volatility right now? I don't think so. Today, if I'm a NASDAQ trader, times like this, not just today, but times like this is when I have to, I'm thinking about moving because I'm a levels trader um, and I'll explain exactly why. I like levels. I trade off of levels. Um, NASDAQ doesn't hold levels as well as the S&P. I take too much heat as the market moves through a level. Going back to that elasticity comment, it can move through those levels a lot easier. And I'm not saying that the levels aren't holding. It's just I'll take a lot more heat as the market moves through that level before it starts to rebound potentially. And those are the things that I don't like. And that's why I like S&P. S&P will hold those levels better for me than what levels that I'm looking at. The S&P tends to uh, not move through as much. And I don't take as much heat as the market moves around those levels before maybe it comes in my favor. Because um, I, I get shaken out in a NASDAQ trade a lot easier. I may be in the right position. I may be at the right level. That market just moves through a little bit more than I want to take before it bounces. Um, and that's when I'm getting out. I'm saying, hey, there's my, you know, that's my point of too much pain. I need to get out. I have a question. And I don't know if there's a right answer to this. Do you think with the NQ, it's specifically a signal and noise thing where there's just more noise in the NQ so it'll go further through levels? Or do you think I'm kind of, thinking of the hypothesis right now is that the S&P is so much more when you think about big players that are doing stuff with futures when you think about how many people in this country have huge positions that need to be processed in the S&P 500 or the more large cap things if that's not somewhat of like a stabilizing influence I 100% think that's exactly what it is. I think, and this is just my personal experience with the markets, right? I think that the NASDAQ is more heavily dominated by um, the day trade retail trader right now because it's fun. It's exciting. It, you know, you got those quick moves and the quick opportunity. I think uh, the more institution is looking over at the, um, the S&P 500. And you think about it too, right? We can probably break it down uh, determining based off of retail training, um, we've seen the massive uptick over the last four years in retail trading, uh, up over 300%, not just in the futures market, but across everything, um, that we've watched this shift happen. And I think it really has to do with retail traders over in the NASDAQ. And I, I don't say there's, think there's anything wrong with that. I just think it's more dominated there um, on a retail side versus the S&Ps. We haven't mentioned it in a while, so it bears repeating, but... The NASDAQ 100 is also so concentrated in a handful of companies that I think can mess with levels as well. Oh, right? yeah. Like you don't really have to think. I mean, certain certain companies act as barometers, obviously, so they're going to affect the S&P. But there's no there's no comparison for how an Apple, Microsoft, Tesla, like something bad happens to one of those and it can just make weird things happen to your levels i think so oh for sure and again a level is nothing more than an area that you believe there's going to be an impact or an influence um you know they're not always perfect they're all over the place and what you thought worked one time on a level may not work the next time um you know it, 
there's a lot that goes into determining, you know, personal proprietary levels for me, what I'm looking at, someone else may look at and think I'm crazy. Um, I think there are certain levels everyone kind of sees. I think markets mm-hmm. are extremely visual, right? Like we were looking at, I was looking at something yesterday with uh, Michael Patak. We were looking at levels and we watched the reaction at a specific price and how the price rejected really nicely. And you could just see exactly why it rejected. It had rejected there three times in a row. We're like, look at that. You could like it was in behind me on this pick on this screen. We could both look at it and go, oh, one, two, three. How about that? It's so visual. Everyone's seeing the same thing. So some levels are just like that, and others are takes a lot more to um, to see it. Sure, I guess you could say. I was typing it in because I hadn't done it in a while. I'm sure it's gotten worse. I was looking at the uh, concentration now. We got of uh, the Nasdaq 100, and Apple got hammered today. But Apple is 13.8%. Microsoft is 10.2%. So between them, that's 24% of the index is those two companies. All right. So that's 24% with Amazon 31, with Tesla 36, with Google, oh, my God, 41? Am I doing this right? I think that I Yes, I I think you are. Oh, my God. So 40% of the index. That just doesn't even sound right to me. 24. Yeah. You know, and it's gotten worse, too, because I could say from looking at some things in my portfolio that the smaller end of something like the NASDAQ has been getting just demolished, just hammered this year compared to Apple was down big today, but it's held up relatively well over the year. I'm really frustrated. You told me Apple. I refuse to look at it today. I have a lot of Apple. Oh, then Um, it's up. (laughs) <laughs> Just, uh, when you uh, said when you mentioned apple down and i i felt it deep in the gut yeah i'm, I'm just like <laughs> telling you to like keep looking that way dan yeah look away <laughs> um i have a lot of apple oh boy fortunately i've had it for a number of years so we're okay but i hate uh whew. so one of the last things if we get back to just some basic liquidity things i wanted to mention because you mentioned the micros is uh fees yeah that affects yeah you got to think about costs of business yeah and that's why as we mentioned houses and stuff are illiquid because you don't want to in addition to all the other stuff even if you could just buy and sell them you have to pay so many fees right thousands of dollars and closing costs or whatever else and you do the same thing at a much smaller scale when you buy or sell a future right you think about it you think like talking micros versus minis when once you hit 10 micros um, you should probably just be doing one mini if from, and I'm not saying maybe your strategy is a little different and you're trying to develop, you know, a scaling in and out position. Totally understood. Yeah. There are, there are times where it makes more sense, but if you're all in all out and you're trading 10 lots in the micros, go trade a one mini, um, because your cost of doing business is almost half, um, per trade that you take. The example that's probably a little bit more, I mean, you'd have to be a mad man or woman to be just doing that. But we'll see. It, 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 there's no reason to be trading 50 minis or something. Micros. Oh, micros. No reason probably to be trading 50 minis either unless you are a hero. Well, you think about it. Like if you're trading 50 minis and I think a round turn is a little over a dollar, um, you're looking at a little over 50 bucks to make one trade. Uh, where if you're trading micro or I said minis, I meant micros, 
Uh, if you're trading the micros, you're like $50 in fees and commissions on a round turn, I believe. Um, I don't have the figures in front of me. And then if you're trading the minis and you're trading a five lot, you're about 20 ish dollars to make that trade. Um, so your cost of doing business is so much cheaper. Yeah. Um, over the long run, those are the sort of things that'll chew you up. Mm -hmm. And that's why and just it, like any business, like the goal is cut costs as much as we can. And where, where do we do it? What's the easiest way of doing it? Yeah, we're all familiar with it from, you know, bulk purchases, you get less, but it's the same thing in finance, you know, on the stock side with the SPY and the SPX, for instance, you know, the big places aren't dealing with the SPY, right? They want as low mm -hmm. commission structure as possible for their options or whatever else they're doing. Absolutely. But at the end of the day, there's still a ton of opportunity out there in a lot of these. And I, I don't want to deter from trading them because I do truly 100% believe that these micros are a great asset class. I think there's some great reasons to be trading in them, educational reasons, trying to get back on track, you know, learning new systems, uh, minimizing your risk as much as possible. I think there's a lot of great reasons to be using, but I also think as, you know, traders, we have to always be thinking about where's that next step and how do I adjust? The big, I mean, the minis are just the old micros. They had to do it at some point. What I mean by that is the reason they call something that's, you know, has a nominal value of hundreds of thousand dollars a mini is because they had to split up the old big S&P contract, which doesn't trade anymore. Did they retire that yet, Dan, or is it still out there? I believe it is now retired. It has to be because what happened was the liquidity got too low because the, uh, the nominal value on that was what five times so yeah, yeah that, so that would be worth about a million dollars a contract right now and there was just that's the death knell of a product if liquidity dries up like you mentioned that uh nq volatility future yeah seemed like a good There's idea just, but it sounded like an awesome idea but it was you know the vix is where people still watch and like, that's... i still watch that vix all day every day oh sure I mean, that's a, it's a great product, but it's just maybe in the future form. I don't know. The um, What was I going to say? You brought up something there that's like put a spark of imagination in my mind. Uh-oh. What did I say? I don't even remember what I said. I think I was talking about the value of the micros, but at some point you have to transition to the minis or start looking, making sure, you know, things like that. Yeah. I was going to say, oh, Bitcoin futures. That's why we can't offer them yet. Basically. Yeah. All these things are intertwined. The, the liquidity is directly proportional to the volatility and thus the margins. And then it just makes stuff like the, the Bitcoin future. I think that's a little bit different because there are, I think, pretty liquid ways to trade Bitcoin. And like, you know, if you're trading actual Bitcoin. But I think that it, it scares people to speculate on that. And the people that go long just want the actual Bitcoin. I think you're right. And also like this, the Bitcoin future right now, a little pricey. Um, that's when you buy one future, you're buying five. Um, so it's a big, uh, it's a big investment and there's not a ton of volume there yet. Um, margins are really high on it. So it's a tough one, but I mean, for anyone out there that's asking about these things, I promise you, we are watching them. I, we talk about them all the time. Um, you know, we, we just want to make sure traders are um, safely engaging in some of these markets. And that, that might be a market where you can get caught in a position that could really be detrimental. 
Yeah. And as we head out, it's worth noting that while we want liquidity because we are day traders and trading futures and stuff like that, you can make a ton of money in probably the most, I think they just generally call them entrepreneurs, but trading illiquid things is one of the most lucrative things you can do if you're one of the people that has the gumption to do it. But that honestly just ends up looking a lot like an entrepreneur at that point, taking a lot of something in one place and taking the effort, the significant effort to move it somewhere else or something like that. Right. Yeah. You start getting like physical commodities and all that good stuff. So yeah, I'll just take uh, 50,000 barrels of crude oil sent to my house and then I'll figure out what to do with it from there. Right on the way. Yeah. Like I think I've said before that we, you know, what we wanted to take a delivery of a pork belly future once to see if we could have like a, like a big board trade barbecue or something. <laughs> like I never trade. I didn't look at it. Do you know what the specs? It's something crazy. It's like, it's like Probably a, a lot. thousand pork bellies. I think we owe it to uh, pork belly futures. My spec. smoker can hold four pork bellies. All right, let's do the math. Specifications, frozen pork bellies. Oh, they froze. Hmm. 40,000 pounds of meat. So we could do a thousand. You said four pounds? I can fit four whole pork bellies. Uh, usually they're a couple pounds. All right. Well, either way, we'll have about 500 trips through that, but it might take a little while. Probably like yeah. 12 hours a piece or something. Something like that. Cool. Well, that's all we got for today, I think, Dan. Is there any announcements or stuff that we should be aware of with the firm? Well, there's a lot happening. Um, if you didn't watch yesterday's Q&A, I suggest go give it a listen. Michael... Uh, teased a little bit about what's coming up next week there's some exciting announcements coming next week and there's some more exciting announcements coming uh, over the next couple months uh so keep an eye on your emails and our marketing team sending out all the good stuff that's happening so we got some exciting stuff there and uh what else we got jack oh i don't know if we're supposed to mention the one thing about well i'll ask you afterwards if it's important we'll bring it up the next time okay deal Okay, well, that's all for this week, guys. We'll see you next week. Stay safe on Friday tomorrow. God knows what's going to happen in these markets. Absolutely. What do you think, Dan, up or down? I mean, I my bet says we're going to 3,500 before we go to 4,000, so I'm going to say down. I know we're going to get there. Uh, I'm going to say dead cat Friday. Down in the morning. I don't, we finish up I don't a little disagree. bit. I don't disagree with the chances of a dead cat tomorrow. I just feel like with the VIX where it's at right now, you know, not super high, like people aren't panicking in the streets, is that the day after 100 point, although I guess it came back to like 70 points down. Well, I'm still going to stick with it. So dead cat, little green tomorrow. Little green to get you into the weekend. That is what I'm wishing for. That's all for uh, Limit Up. We'll see you next <laughs> week. Until then, namaste and trade well, y'all. The Limit Up Podcast is a presentation of Top Step. Check us out at topstep.com to learn more about our futures trading combine and how you can become a funded trader. We'll see you next week. Goodbye.